Lord, I thank you that you hear us when we pray to you, that you are so open and willing and excited to answer us. Um, I pray, Lord, you would answer my prayer, uh, that your word would speak clearly to us, that you would be revising and reassuring us about who you are, and that would give us confidence and excitement and freedom in praying to you. And then, Lord, I pray you would continue to answer our prayers in ways that build our belief and trust in you as our loving Heavenly Father. Let's talk about what we discussed yesterday. So yesterday, we were talking and just kind of introducing prayer, and uh, we were kind of seeing how communication reveals the state of your relationships. So do you guys want to hear an embarrassing story about me in college? I was thinking about, like, the, Kyle, you're too excited, Grace. You're too excited. Um, I was thinking about my college experience uh, when Kyle was sharing, and it brought me back to a painful memory. So uh, when I was a freshman in college, I was a young, naive, um, half-white, half-Chinese boy. Uh, I would play basketball with people, and they were like, I would do like a reverse lip, and they're like, whoa, we got Jeremy Lin over here. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> half of Jeremy Lin in height, in skill, not, not even half. But anyway, uh, so they didn't know what I was. I was very racially ambiguous to them, and that confused them. Uh, but anyway, so I was, I was this freshman, and uh, I met a girl, okay? So she was a sophomore. Uh, she was a very interesting person, probably the most uh, the, the thing about her that uh, differentiated from a lot of people is uh, her family was Duke basketball royalty. So her grandma was good friends with Coach Krzyzewski, who is one of the most legendary basketball coaches ever. And so she grew up, like, going over to Coach Krzyzewski's house. And, like, so she, like, went to all the games. Most obsessive, rabid sports fan I know. Um, so, you know, we would watch like the Duke games and then they would lose and she would, she would start crying and then she'd be upset for days on end, days on end. And she's a super sweet, like smart, she's great, right? But when it came to Duke basketball, she was very serious and she would get very angry and animated at the players on the court. She would start yelling at them like, what are you doing? Like seriously. And so I was like, whoa, she's pretty cute. She likes basketball. This is pretty cool. Let's play ultimate Frisbee. So then we're like, oh, um, so then it's like, you know, doing stuff that only college humanity majors at a small liberal arts school can do. I don't have any homework because I'm an English major, so I'm gonna play Frisbee at like 11 a.m. at night on the quad. So a bunch of us like RUF people, we're all throwing the Frisbee around and it's raining and it's so romantic. And I'm like, I toss her the Frisbee and I'm like, ha ha ha, and then she like catches it, ha ha ha. And so uh, <laughs> that's exactly what it was like. And so eventually, near the end of the semester, uh, I confessed my feelings for her. And then she looked at me and she was like, okay. And then eventually she confessed that she liked me too. Yeah, I know. And that is what, how I met my wife. No, <laughs> this is not about my wife. <laughs> my wife didn't go to the same school. Uh, so what, what happened? What happened to this <laughs> lovely relationship, this burgeoning relationship? So uh, we would like um, do all kinds of fun stuff. We would like, um, I'm not a morning person, but I would wake up early because she was a morning person, and we'd have dinner in The Rat. Our cafeteria was called The Rat. And so we would have food in The Rat at like, you know, early in the morning, and we'd talk and we'd chat and everything was great. Um, and then the summer came along, 
and she was counseling at a youth, like a summer camp for like a, a month or so or something like that. And she was saying, oh yeah, you know, like over the summer, uh, it'll be a little hard to get in touch with me because, uh, you know, I'm camp counseling, we might not have signal, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, that's useful information to have. So then uh, a month and a half passed and I didn't contact her once. And then I received a letter. <laughs> now you, you guys are like, you guys are like, what are you doing, Daniel? And you're right, you're totally right. I was young, I was dumb. I'm, I'm very like not relationally intelligent. So, <laughs> and it's not my fault. It's honestly not my fault. I am a product of my parents. Both of my parents, <laughs> what, <laughs> what? Are you saying you're not a product of your parents? <laughs> Some of you know my parents and you know I'm right. <laughs> um, Okay, I don't know. Uh, so both of my parents are software engineers, and so my dad is much louder, but he's very software engineers-y. My mom uh, moved from Taiwan when she was 25, and then she got like a million master's degrees, and then she just learned software, and so she's super smart, super intelligent, very, very quiet, not super social. So my family is, in general, not very communicative. Uh, so the way I describe it is, uh, you know how families do stuff like I've heard on the internet, some families on most nights of the week do a thing where they gather at a table and they eat food together at the same time and they talk to each other. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> and so even now that I'm married to Ashley, her family is very into that. And I was talking to someone mentioning how most families, well, it was you, right? Uh, what was your name again? So Kim uh, said her family has a group chat where they're always messaging each other. My family never had a group chat. My family was kind of like satellites orbiting around in our separate areas of the house and never shall they meet together, you know, like. Um, so my parents are in the computer room, I'm in my room, my sister's in the other room. My mom makes some food, we get it and eat it whenever we want. And so I had no chance, okay? I don't know anything about communication, so I didn't talk to her. So then I received a letter from this girl and it said something along these lines, uh, Daniel, it is clear to me, okay, th this is not verbatim, that you're really not that into me because you didn't seem like, you didn't feel it was necessary to talk to me even after I was done with the summer camp. And I, I don't remember what else she said, but it was basically like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Who is like this? And so she's so nice. So like you would think that this would like poison our like friendship when we got back. She was actually really chill about it because she probably knew that I was a dumb boy who didn't know anything. And so she was very gracious and we we're actually still friends after that even though I was so dumb. Now, communication reveals the state of the relationship. Uh, in this case, I was dumb. But when you get closer to people, communication reveals a lot about the person, how you view them, uh, how you feel about them. And so in the same way, how we pray and what we pray about reveals what we care about and how we see God. And so prayer, learning how to pray is not simply about techniques of communication. It's not about finding the right formula where it's like my morning prayer routine is five minutes of journaling, 10 minutes of silent contemplation, 15 minutes of meditation on scripture, and then you're good. That's the perfect formula, right? It's not about that. You are talking to someone and so you can't shortcut the process, right? 
you grow in intimacy over time in the relationship as you feel each other out, you get to know each other. The same thing is true about God. Our problem is that in many cases, our default position about God is one of suspicion, uh, one of skepticism. We can become jaded because when we pray, it's very difficult. We're busy, we're distracted. God is invisible. We can't see him. We can't audibly hear from him. You know, some people do, but not, not often. Uh, and so we need help praying. And so the third thing we saw was that Jesus has compassion on doubters, okay? Uh, when there, this is honestly one of the most beautiful and relevant themes running through scripture in my mind for many of us in 2023 um, in Silicon Valley. Uh, there is a thread of God's graciousness towards people who have a hard time with unbelief. So one example, Jesus heals a demon-possessed uh, son when the father prays, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus responds to that request by helping his unbelief, by giving him a sign that Jesus is both compassionate and loving, even when his faith is mixed, right? I believe. There's a part of me that trusts you. I want to believe. But still, there's a part of me where I have a hard time trusting you and knowing and believing you can actually do anything. Another, another theme, another uh, piece of the, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of images, but another example. There we go. Uh, in the book of John, in John chapter 20, uh, after Jesus resurrects from the dead, uh, Thomas hears about the, the disciples tell Thomas, the doubting Thomas, his name is Doubting Thomas, uh, and he hears the disciples say they saw Jesus, and what does he say? He says, unless I can feel the holes in his hands, I'm not, I, I'll never believe. I will never, ever believe. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus knows Thomas's heart, and he's the son of God. He has this, uh, like, his resurrected body has this knowledge where he knows what Thomas said, and the first thing he does when he comes up to him is he says, here, place your hands in, place your finger in the holes in my hands. And so if God did not want to help us with our unbelief, with our doubt, if God said, you need to believe perfectly me before I'm going to respond to you, then he would not have included that story in the gospel. In the letters, in the book of Jude, there's a little verse really encouraging to me where it says, uh, be merciful to doubters. Be merciful to doubters. And so all of these passages communicate to me something really important about the heart of God. We doubt, we doubt, we doubt, I doubt. And yet God is so good that he wants to help us and grow our trust in him. The same way that J.I. Packer uses the analogy of a child where I mean, it's a really good quote. I was thinking about reading it. I'm not going to read it. I'll just summarize it. Um, he says that when a parent meets the need of their child, the parent is accomplishing two things. First, they were meeting a real need that the child has. And second, they're increasing the child's assurance that their parent loves them. You get, it? You get me? Two things. And so, honestly, that's one of the reasons. We're having a great small group discussion. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why God wants us to pray to him. And that's also a reason why I think God waits to give us things until we ask him. 
Because if we, um, if God simply just always gave us what we wanted before we asked him, there would be no relationship. There would be no building of our belief and trust in God. And so in the same way with, like, with my son Toby, um, I, I know what Toby wants most of the time. Sometimes I don't. And sometimes Toby's like watching um, cars, like watching shows. He really loves the cars Pixar thing. And he's watching shows and he's eating snacks. And then like he runs out of snacks and then more snacks mysteriously appear in his hand and he continues like shoveling them into his mouth. There's not a lot of relationship there. But when he says, Dada, more goldfish, then I can respond. And I don't know if he appreciates it, but we bring him more goldfish. It's an opportunity for him to experience my love right? And God is the same way. And so this whole weekend, I'm like, what I'm banking on, if God is not like this, then really there's no point. There's no point of praying. Uh, but if God is like this, I'm banking on the fact that when you guys are asking him to help you, he's going to respond to you. Why? Why can we be confident in this? I said it a little bit already, but because when we talk, when we pray, we are having a conversation with our Father, Okay? So let's keep going. Uh, we, uh, learning prayer from the master. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, that's good. This morning, if you are struggling with prayer, you have the opportunity to learn from the master of prayer, who is Jesus. And if you ever th have thought about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a disciple, um, the best analogy I would use is you are like committing to a gong fu master, Right? You are committing to a martial artist. And in order to become like the martial artist, you commit to them and you learn from them so you can become like them. Now, Jesus prayed a lot. We don't pray a lot. Or, I mean, I don't pray. You know, like, compared to Jesus, um, I struggle with prayer. But here's the thing. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, by definition, I don't have it all together. I don't know how to do the thing I'm trying to do. I am not yet like my master. And so what I want to encourage you with is that's really great because it means that we can ask him and he wants to help us. We're, we're super messed up when it comes to prayer, but that's great. That's what disciples are like. Like, you know, it's like Karate Kid or whatever, where it's like, you know, Daniel's son, I, you know, my name is Daniel, I relate. Uh, you know, he's doing the wax on, wax off, and he's like, what am I doing? I don't get it. Like, why can't I want to play with my friends or whatever? And he's like, no, you have to do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's like, chah, chah, you know, blocking everything, right? We don't get it. But God gets it. <laughs> and so when God instructs us how to pray, when Jesus shows us how to pray, we have the master who is teaching us. Do you guys want to learn how to pray? Jesus tells us. Jesus helps us. Jesus has this instruction for us. And then in this passage, what's really cool, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So there's discipleship in there. There's prayer in there. They probably, because people probably prayed out loud, they probably overheard Jesus praying, and they could see his, the, I don't, like, I don't, it doesn't say what his prayer was like, but I imagine they saw the depth and intimacy, and joy, and peace. They saw the way he prayed, what he prayed about, and they're like, I want that. I can't believe he can talk to God, you know, like Ben was saying, the God who created everything, like this, this big God, he can talk to God as a friend, as a son. I want to learn to pray like that. And so this is Jesus teaching us, his disciples, 
the secret of prayer. When you pray, say, Father. And that's it. That's all we're going to talk about, okay? <laughs> because this is so important. Uh, when we have wrong views of God, it is impossible for us to improve at prayer. Because the person we're, we're praying to is everything. And the more you understand and experience the truth of who God is as your father, the more you will experience freedom and joy and intimacy. And prayer is no longer just about God answering, but it's about communion with him. Like communion, that's like a fancy religious word. You, you're spending time with someone you love, right? When we think about prayer, some of you guys think about like your schedule, your daily schedule. I have to pray at this hour of the day for this period of time. But when you're relating to your friends, um, oh, actually, we're, we're busy, you are busy tech workers, so maybe you relate to your friends like this, but you're like, okay, our allotted 30 minutes is over. Um, I enjoyed your company, now be gone. Is that what we're like? With God, who like made us, we're like, okay, God, I can squeeze in 30 minutes between meetings for you, but after that, be gone. When you know who God is, prayer becomes not like a chore, not a burden, not an obligation, but something good. I can receive rest and refreshment and joy. And so, uh, like, I, I feel so passionately about this. I really just hope that you guys can experience this. Because I'm not a great, I'm not like a great prayer or whatever, but, but the reason I really want to pray is because I've experienced God and just being with God, being with him, just changes everything for me. Uh, he comforts me in the ways that I need. And we're, okay, so I gotta, get, I gotta go faster. So when you pray, uh, pray, say, Father. And then Jesus talks about the Lord's Prayer. Now, um, one practice that I would encourage you guys to do, uh, as long as it's not distracting, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he gives us a template for prayer, right? He tells us, like, in a sense, the, the content, like who we're praying to, what we pray about, uh, the petitions we can bring to him, and those are really, really good. Uh, if it's helpful for you, I would encourage you to try to pray, you know, daily, the Lord's Prayer in your own words, um, as long as it's not distracting to you, as long as it doesn't become so, like, mechanical and routine that you're not really praying, you're just reciting words. Um, we can talk more about if you experience that, maybe you can get through that, but anyway. Uh, so Jesus teaches them how to pray, the template for prayer, but what's really interesting is Jesus does not stop there. He doesn't say in this passage, oh, you guys want to learn how to pray, okay? Here's the template for prayer. We're done. Just do it. Just go do it. He actually starts to relationship counsel them, okay, using parables. So let's look at the stories that he tells that are meant to encourage us to pray, and let's see what he says. Um, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and, and say to him, friend, lend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So what's the situation going on here? Uh, in this culture, uh, you did not have refrigerators and you did not have grocery stores or Costco, if you're 
married with kids. You go to Costco, not Safeway. Um, they, they did not have grocery stores or whole food markets or wholesale market, whatever, what's it called? Anyway, um, they didn't have that. And so when someone would come in, hospitality was such an important value. If you were traveling, you were at, basically at the mercy of people to take you in because the road is not safe, you need somewhere to stay at night, it's cold, it's dangerous, and you need a, a house to go in, and you can't carry enough food for yourself. So you are dependent on other people's goodwill and feeding you. So when a stranger would come into town, they would go to a house, the people would let them in, or a friend or relative is traveling into town, and you don't know when they're gonna arrive, right? You don't have like Google Maps, you, you can't give them an ETA or like you know, plane flights, whatever. You don't know when they're arriving, and so they could come at any time, so they come, and then you, you're like, oh shoot, I need to bring, prepare food for them. So you go around to the whole village and you ask them like, let's get together some food for this travel who's arriving. And so this would have been totally normal, a very normal occurrence. Uh, in this case, the person, the neighbor, is kind of a jerk. The guy comes by and he's like, don't bother me, my kids are sleeping. If someone knocked at my door and woke up Toby, Ashley, my wife, would be very, very angry, and her wrath is terrible to behold. Um, I, would not, I, I do not envy the person who knocks at our door to, to ask for food. Uh, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't give up and give you anything. Now, so this guy does not want to answer this person knocking at their door. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, so he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what Jesus is saying is, it's 12 o'clock. This person's like banging on the door. Let me in, let me in. I need food. The guy's like, no, go away. 12.05, banging on the door. Let me in, let me in. I need food. Oh, you're the worst. Go away. 15 minutes later, he's just knocking, knocking, knocking. And then the guy's like, fine. Okay, fine. You'll come in. Like, I'll give you the food. You're so annoying. We're not friends anymore. Because of his persistence, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So based on this story, uh, some of us might think we should be persistent in praying to God because God is like an annoyed neighbor who doesn't really want to answer our prayers, and so you have to keep on bugging him, and then finally if you pray long, that, that's actually the opposite of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Um, he says, in contrast, I almost wish there was like a but here, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So he's saying, God is not like this annoyed neighbor. God is not reluctant to answer our prayers. We don't have to bug him about it. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so, Again, this is Jesus teaching us about who we're praying to. This is Jesus saying, you might have these preconceptions about what God is like and how he answers your prayer, but let me tell you this story illustrating what God is not like. God is not reluctant to answer us. And then Jesus promises, when you ask, it will be given to you. And this is mysterious, and you know we can get real philosophical here real quick. I'm not going to. I simply want to say when Jesus is teaching us about prayer, he gives us these promises where he says, when you pray, when you ask, when you seek, God will respond in some way, guaranteed, guaranteed. And that's a challenge to me because I don't know if I always believe that, 
but it's also a great promise and encouragement. If God is hesed faithful, like Ben was sharing with us, if God is loyal and faithful and tenacious in the way that he loves us, we can count on him to answer us. And so just think about this. If God is a father, if God is anything like me, I get so excited when I can give Toby stuff. When he wants stuff that's dangerous all the time. And so I am constantly telling him, no, you can't have that. No, don't do that. Get away from that. Don't do that. So then when he asks me for something that's good for him and I can just give to him, I get so excited. And I will do ridiculous stuff for Toby. Um, I will order a $15 Cars toy. Actually, I will order dozens of $15 Cars toys for Toby because he loves this show so much. And so he has, um, this is the Pixar movie, there's like Lightning McQueen and Mater and all these other characters. Uh, he has like at least three or four different Lightning McQueen toys that have like different accessories. It's almost like a Barbie doll or something. Like, um, I love it. I love giving things to him. And so, so Jesus is saying right off the bat, when we come to pray to God, the primary image he wants us to think about is the relationship between a father and a child. The primary way we relate to God is parental love and affection and faithfulness. So what kind of father do we pray to? Someone who longs to hear from his children. So when we thought about the two different tendencies in the, when Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, the first group of people prayed because they wanted acclaim from other people, and they basically don't act like God is even in the picture. Like, the more eloquent I pray, the, the more I can, like, like, I don't know, get, get props from people at church or something, right? But I don't really care what God thinks. I don't really have much of a relationship with God. I'm just pragmatic. I can build my brand through starting a church. My social media platform will increase if I have a church. So I'm going to do that, right? Um, that is not the kind of father we pray to, a father who is absent. God is not the type of father that the pagans pray to. The pagans think they have to sacrifice all of this precious stuff and beat on his door and cut themselves like the, the prophets of Baal. They cut themselves to get their God to listen because he is very reluctant to hear. He's busy. He's doing other stuff. And even if you make these offerings to the pagan gods, you never know if they're actually going to give you that material thing that you're looking for. You never know. God is capricious. God is reluctant to respond. God is not a father. But for us, because of what Jesus has revealed, God is a father, okay? So this is an argument for, from lesser to more. If this annoying neighbor will open up when you knock, how much more will God answer you when you pray? How much more will he excitedly throw open the door and say, oh, yes, I want to buy you that car's toy, whatever your car's toy equivalent is. He wants to do that. He wants to answer prayer. Um, now, and then Jesus goes even further, and this is where he lands on the father image. He, he hammers it home even more. What father among you? Raise your hand if you're a father. What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Raise your hand if you would give your kid a serpent when they ask for a fish. Stop lying to me. No. Um, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, he calls me evil because I am not a good father. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in comparison to God as a father, 
I have all of this passion and concern and desire to care for Toby, and then I also can't stand him some of the times. I'm, I'm neglectful. I'm distracted. I, I have limited emotional and relational capacity for my son, whom I love so much. I am evil compared to God. I am a far worse father than God is. So if that's how I respond to Toby's every request, how much more will God respond when we ask him? How much better of a father is he? This is a huge encouragement to pray, isn't it? We can't even imagine how God will respond to us when we pray to him with this kind of trust, where we simply say to him, God, let's work it out logically. You say that you're my father. If you say you're my father and you love me in this way, you want to answer my prayers. And so when I ask for something, I can trust you with whatever happens because I know how I relate to my son, right? When I ask for something that's not good for me, God in his wisdom will not withhold it, right? But God in his wisdom will give me something even better than that bad thing that I was looking for. He'll give me something even better than that. I don't always know what's good for me. I'm just like Toby running around, getting into all kinds of trouble, right? I don't know what's good for me. No, I don't want to. I don't want to drink like drain fluid, right? Like, or I don't. Toby wants to drink drain fluid. I don't want him to do that, right? So I put locks on everything. It's like it's a nightmare. Um, this is how good God is. Now, what is the basis on which God hears us? What are the implications of God's nature for our prayers? Uh, God hears us based on our familial relationship in Christ. We are in Christ, we are adopted into his family. And so based on that, because we were accepted by grace, based on what Jesus Christ did for us, that is the basis by which God answers our prayers. Now this means that we can pray honestly in whatever way you want. Just pray whatever prayer is authentic because, do you know why? Because you, your, your prayers are not answered on the basis of how good your prayers are or how Christian they are. They're not. They're, you, when you pray in Jesus Christ's name, God hears you as a child, regardless of how messed up you are, regardless of the wrong view of God you have. And so that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You don't have to perform for a father. If God is like a king, primarily you think of him as a king, when you go into the presence of a king, you, you, oh, you know, my liege, you know, like you, uh, you like kiss his ring, you make all of these formal gestures to show your allegiance to him. If God is a father, he does not care at all about that. You can come to him completely unselfconsciously. You don't have to pray like the pagans who think that he's only going to hear them if you pray enough or pray hard enough. God is not reluctant to answer. He promises he'll respond to us as, he, as we ask. Okay, next. Oh, sorry, could we not show the photo? <laughs> okay, okay. So um, uh, this, is, this is probably one of the most important parts of my testimony. Um, and this is, so if you can imagine, when I, was, when I was in high school, and the worst was a year after high school when I was at a, a Christian, a Bible school in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, um, I basically let my hair grow and grow and grow till it was about shoulder length. 
yeah, it was weird. And, and this was the thing that people did back then. So we listened to bands like uh, Under Oath and My Chemical Romance and you know, emo band, all this stuff. I was into that, right? Um, but I was also emo because I was really depressed. In high school, I really struggled a lot with depression. And um, there were many times in, especially like sophomore, junior year, where I felt so absolutely hopeless about my life. Um, I was not a great student. I, I think I graduated high school with exactly a 3.0, like a 3.0 flat, you know? Um, and uh, I think I probably had the capacity to do better than that, but I just really struggled because I was depressed, I didn't like school, I thought other stuff was more interesting. But really my everyday experience was often like when I wake up in the morning, uh, I don't want to get out of bed. The first obstacle I have to face is getting one foot out of my bed onto the ground, and that was excruciatingly difficult. The next obstacle I had to overcome was like putting on my clothes, and then brushing my teeth, and then getting out the door, and then driving to school, and then sitting through class, and everything was kind of like in a fog and a haze. I felt so miserable and bad, and I felt so hopeless about my life. Uh, and then, because I felt so hopeless about my life, uh, there is what, I was taking physics, and there is a thing in physics called the roller coaster project. Has anyone done a roller coaster project? You create, a, you design a roller coaster, and then you like calculate the forces on the car at different points in the roller coaster. I wanted nothing to do with doing this roller coaster project. And so the night before the roller, the day before the roller coaster project was due, um, I had not worked on my roller coaster project at all. And this project was worth half of our grade, okay? So immediate fail if you don't do the roller coaster project. I was not gonna do the roller coaster project. I knew it. My parents disgruntledly knew it too. And so I was emo, okay? My hair wasn't as long as it was later, but I was emo. And outside, just like in any movie, it was raining. And so what does an emotional person, melodramatic person, slightly melodramatic emo Daniel do when it's raining outside, when you feel so bad and hopeless and lost? You go outside into the rain, and you sit down on the grass, and you sit there and mope, right? I'm serious. I actually did this. <laughs> I actually did this. I sat there, and I felt really sad and hopeless, and I was like, I'm going to fail physics, which means I'm not going to get into college, I'm, which means I'm not going to get a job, which means I'm going to be homeless and die alone. And I was thinking that. I was like, what is the point of living when life is so hopeless and difficult? Emo high school, Daniel. Now, here's the thing. Um, I did something that was really cool in that moment. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. My parents were Christian. My, a lot of my friends were Christian. Um, I had, there were people at my church who I respected and loved. And I think I was a Christian too. I grew up praying. Um, I had some sense that God was real and there. And so in my desperation and sadness and hopelessness, I cried out to God and just, God, help. What's, like, help me. What, what's going on? Help me. That's what I prayed. And then this is the way that God responded as a loving father to me. And this is, I mean, I still think about this and it, like, it makes me like, a little emotional. Um, the first thing that happened was I felt assurance. I felt a sense of God saying to me, everything will be okay. I love you. 
everything will be okay, I love you. And then sometimes I say it was like five minutes later, it really felt like barely any time at all. The moment after I prayed that, the moment after God responded to me in that way, uh, my dad came out into the rain, my earthly dad came out into the rain, he knew I was gonna fail physics, he said, it's raining outside. I mean, <laughs> if I was in that situation, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's raining outside, you dummy, you emo kid. Um, to this day, my dad still has been trying to discover, going through research and you know, reading stuff on the internet, to try to figure out what emo means, and he still hasn't done it. But my dad, in that moment, came out to get me, and he, he, he like hugged me, and he said, I love you, come back inside the house. In that moment, my dad communicated to me through his words and actions such an incredible truth about the love of God for each one of you. That is the type of father we have. My dad is not a perfect father. Based on the Bible, my dad is an evil father. But my heavenly father is a perfect father. And in that moment, God knew what I needed. He saw me so hopeless and lost, and he was like, I want to reassure this child. I want to show him how much I love him. There's a J.I. Packer quote where he says, um, if we are, can you go to the J.I. Packer quote? Do I have one? Do I, oh, I don't have it. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, if God in love has made Christians his children, and if he is perfect as a father, this would seem to follow. If God made Christians children, if he's perfect as a father, God will go out of his way to make his children feel his love from them and know their privilege and security as members of his family. And then I love this line. Adopted children need assurance that they belong and a perfect parent will not withhold it. He will not withhold it. We are adopted into his family. We feel insecurity where we're not sure what parents are like based on our parents based on our insecurities. We don't know if God loves us, but God is so wise and good that he looks at us, his adopted children, who he chose, who he wanted to parent, and he says, you know what? Daniel really needs encouragement right now, and I don't care that he knows I love him. He says that he, he knows I love him. I don't care about that. That's not enough. He needs to know I love him, but I also care how he feels about me. As a parent, Toby might know I love him, but that's not enough. I want him to feel it. I want him to experience it. And so God both demonstrates his love for us. He shows his love by sending Jesus to die for us. And he also gives us the Holy Spirit, whose only role, or okay, not only role, but whose main role in many of the passages in the New Testament is to bring us assurance about our adoption as children, about how much God loves us as a father. So you could say the Holy Spirit's role is to make us experience and feel and know the truth, the deep truth about how much God loves us. And so God has given us, when we pray to him, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can experience it. This is such good news. This is such good news. And I really, this is why I really would love if you guys can just ask him and come to him as a child who needs help. Um, as we understand who God is as a father, we can pray unselfconsciously and authentically since he's, her, he's our dad who's monitoring us. Okay, uh, dumb analogy. God cares so much about you and he is paying attention to you way more than you, you realize. In fact, I would say he's always paying attention to you just the same way that Ashley and I 
are always monitoring our baby. So we do this thing where when Toby's going to bed, we have to wait for him to like, you know, roll around and like play with his stuffed animals and do all this stuff for him to go to bed. And it's so cute and sometimes he babbles to himself and we love watching him do that. Um, but what we also really love watching him do is sleep. When he's sleeping, sometimes we're in bed and we're just staring at the baby monitor and I swear, I say the word, to I say the word cute like off the charts, like hundreds of times a day. Like, I just look at him, I'm like, wow, Toby is so cute. Toby is so cute. I can't believe how cute Toby is. Look at his big chubby under chin. Like, he's so adorable. His head is so big and round. I love it so much. Now, the way you feel about God is probably not the way that God feels about you. You get what I'm saying? Do you experience God's love for you in, like, in that way? Where it's like, do you know how much God is concerned for you? Do you much know how excited God is to answer your prayers. That's what our God is like. And this means we can pray confidently and expectantly. We can expect him to answer because he's not reluctant to answer. He delights in answering and meeting our needs to show us his goodness, to show us, reassure us that he loves us. Um, so the final thing I would say is as we pray, we experience God's hug. And this is why we should pray. Um, this is one of the most amazing things that I really love about prayer um, and so I regularly do this. When I feel bad, when I'm struggling with whatever it might be, um, I often say to God, God, I just need a hug. And he knows what I mean. He, 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 me he knows that I mean I want some particular encouragement from him that only he would give to me so that I can feel and experience his love. I just need, to, I just need reassurance, you know, the way that a parent would, you know, like, you're interviewing for your first job, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. And your, your, your parents are like, it'll be okay. Just like, it'll be okay. You got this, right? I just need God to say, I got this, right? Like, and give me a hug. Like, show me your love. And so uh, there's this amazing analogy, which I really love. Maybe I should have already said this earlier, but um, uh, I, I have to quote. Okay, anyway, I won't. My favorite preacher, D. Martin Lay Jones, uses this uh, illustration. It was from a different preacher. Uh, there's a father and son who are walking in a park. And the father is holding the son's hand. In that moment, uh, how much does the son know that the father loves him as they're walking through the park holding his hand? He probably has some awareness of that. But then when the father looks at his kid and says, I love you so much, grabs him and throws him in the air and catches him, and this is important, catches him, how much will that child experience viscerally the love of his father? God always loves us. God is faithful all the time. But what we need often, what I need, is to experience his hug. And so I do this through prayer. I go to him in the morning. I go to him after a long night. Me and Ashley are fighting, or Toby had a tough day. And I just say, like, God, can you encourage me? I need help right now. And so... Um, one way that God has done this is the bald eagle incident. So I'm, I'm weird. You, you guys already knew this, but I'm weird. I'm very particular. Um, when I was in second grade, I wanted to be a marine biologist because I loved studying dangerous, poisonous animals. So my favorite animal was the Churonix fleckeri, which is the scientific name for the box jellyfish. Yeah, I did, I did a, 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 an assignment on that in like second grade, and I just like remember, I love poisonous animals. I love nature. I love... God's creation. And so there was this one time where I was, you know, feeling discouraged. And I went to the East Palo Alto Baylands 
You guys know like 101 Palo Alto University. It's on the other side of university. Um, and I went there and I was, so I worked at a Christian nonprofit in East Palo Alto for a year after I, I graduated. So that's why I was there. I, I would go back to this place and I walk around in this estuary. There are birds, there's nature, there's water, there are hiking trails. You can hike all the way to the Google headquarters. Um, and so I was there and I was praying and reading the Bible and I was just spending time with God. And then I finished doing that and I was walking back to my car and then I looked up in the sky and there was a giant, enormous brown bird with white head plumage. And I'm like, what? Is that a bald eagle? No, it can't be a bald eagle. Those are in danger. Like, why would there be a bald eagle here? And so I got closer. Another dumb fact. I loved peregrine falcons when I was in elementary school, because they don't, like, can dive at like 200 miles an hour. It's super cool, right? Birds are amazing. They're so effortless and beautiful as they fly in the air. And I saw this bird, and I was like, what the heck is that? So I got closer. You know what? It was a bald eagle. There was a bald eagle that was flying around there. Some kind of wildlife preserve or conservation people were, were taking their bald eagle for a walk, like, or a fly, taking their bald eagle for a fly, right? And so I was like, God, I was like blown away. I was like, I never would have imagined that you would encourage me in this way. Never would have imagined it. But that was the exact thing that hit me, that, that perfectly like encouraged me. And it's like, I still get a thrill out of that because that's how good of a father God is. And, and these are like grace notes. These are like, God is so consistent in his love. And so not all the time do you experience this. When I pray, I expect God will reward me. When I read scripture, I expect he's going to reward me. And often that happens with just a small sense of God's presence and encouragement and comfort. Sometimes there's an insight he gives me, but I feel encouraged every single time. But sometimes God does the bald eagle thing. And these are the things, like, it's like, I'm not relying on these things, but since God is so good, he will do that for us as we pray to him. This is what God is like. This is what I am banking on. If God is not like this, prayer is worthless and a waste of time. But if this is how God will respond as we pray to him, then how should we pray? Let's knock on the door. Let's ask him. Like, ask him particularly for the encouragement that you need to get through the day as a parent. And then God, the other thing is God will give us rest. God gives us rest. We need rest. We need freedom from like the burdens that we're under. And our father is someone who doesn't necessarily change all our circumstances, but he says, I'm with you in this. And you can do it. You can get through this as I give you strength and encouragement and support. It matters so much when someone is simply present with you as you're going through something tough. It gives you, their presence gives you strength. And God is always present with us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are such a good father who answers our prayers. You feel about us in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And so I pray, Lord, that because of what Christ did, because of our status as adopted children, because of your gift of the Holy Spirit, you would bring us amazing, incredible assurance of our childship, our sonship, um, and that this would set us free and grow our trust in you. That would help us experience joy and peace in our life. Um, and I pray you would give us uh, this incredible gift uh, that would really help us.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.